morning, I want to begin by saying thank you to uh, Pastor Daniel for doing such a fantastic job preaching God's Word last Sunday. I know that you were blessed by God. I know that God spoke to you uh, through Daniel. Our CRC and Espanol ministry is in great hands. I look forward to what God has in store for all of us with this new ministry. I agree with the psalmist who said in Psalm 122 and verse 1, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I hope you are excited to be here this morning. I hope you are excited about what God is doing in your life. I hope you are excited about what God is doing in our church family. I hope you're excited to hear from God as he speaks to each one of us this morning through the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us. God is going to speak to each one of us this morning by his Holy Spirit in us through the teaching of his Holy Word before us. The Holy Spirit is going to teach those of us who need to be taught, rebuke those of us who need to be rebuked, correct those of us who need to be correct, corrected, and train those of us who need to be trained in righteousness this morning. Therefore, we know God has something to say to each one of us today. God wants a response from each one of us today because he is going to be speaking to each one of us today. And the response that God wants from us is one and the same. It's simply faith. God wants us to do whatever it is he is going to ask us to do through this time of worship through his word. And we demonstrate our faith in God by our obedience to God. We can never go wrong walking in obedience to God. We can never go wrong doing what it is God calls us to do according to the truth of his word. So Father God, we stop for just a moment and we now ask that you would open our eyes to the amazing, wonderful, rich truth of your word. God, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning? God, you're going to speak to all of us. You're going to speak to each one of us. And so, Father, I pray that we would receive what you have for us, that we would respond in obedience to you by our faith and trust in you, knowing that what you want for us is best. And Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together this morning. We thank you for your spirit in us. We thank you for your words to us. We thank you in advance for all that you're going to do this morning. But it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to walk into chapter 2 this morning of 1 Thessalonians. We're moving into chapter 2, but before we do that, I want to just refresh our memory real quickly about what God has said to us through Paul in chapter 1. If you look there at chapter 1 and just follow along as I kind of highlight, we know that Paul greeted the believers in Thessalonica. Paul thanked God for the believers in the church in Thessalonica. Paul prayed for the believers in the church in Thessalonica. Paul encouraged the believers in the church in Thessalonica in chapter 1 and verse 4. Paul said, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. We know, and as Paul shared with us, Paul knew that the believers in the church in Thessalonica were followers of Jesus because the gospel was preached to them 
with power because the believers in the church in Thessalonica received the gospel message with joy. The believers in Thessalonica were effective witnesses for Jesus. The believers in the church in Thessalonica endured persecution for Jesus. The believers in Thessalonica also looked forward and watched for the return of Jesus. As Paul told us, people everywhere, those close and those far away, had heard, they knew about God and his work in the lives, around the lives, through the lives of the believers there in the church in Thessalonica. And so we transition now into chapter 2. As we walk through the front door of chapter 2, Paul says these words, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. Paul opened chapter 2 by reminding them of his visit to them. Paul said, our visit. Our included Paul, Silas, and Timothy. The Thessalonian believers knew Paul, Silas, and Timothy because Paul, Silas, and Timothy stayed with them on their visit to them for about three weeks, if not longer. Luke told us in Acts 17 that Paul, Silas, and Timothy came to Thessalonica and they began ministering in the synagogue there in Thessalonica. And they ministered over the course of three Sabbath days, which would be three weeks, obviously. But they also ministered, they also ministered in Jason's house, a, a gentleman there in Thessalonica. And so we know they performed this ministry in Thessalonica before they were run out of town by the wicked, unruly mob. And so we see here in verse 1, I want you to notice a couple of points Paul's making uh, as we begin this chapter uh, right here in verse 1. First point, Paul emphasized his relationship with the believers. Paul emphasized his relationship with the believers. He said, for you yourselves know Brothers and sisters, Paul appealed to their close personal relationship with him. The Thessalonian believers did not need to rely on what others said about Paul, Silas, and Timothy because they knew Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Why? Because Paul, Silas, and Timothy stayed with them in their visit to Thessalonica. They lived with them and ministered to them in Thessalonica. If you look back up in chapter 1, in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, Paul said, You know how we lived among you for your benefit. So Paul appealed to their personal knowledge of him and Silas and Timothy. The Thessalonian believers could trust Paul's words to them because they had witnessed Paul's walk before them. They could trust what he was saying in this letter because they had witnessed his walk. These believers knew Paul, Silas, and Timothy were men of integrity. These believers also knew Paul, Silas, and Timothy loved them. Paul said, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters. Note, that's the second time Paul has used the term brothers and sisters in describing them. We shared at the beginning of this series, he's going to do this 19 times through these chapters, over and over and over again. 
He refers to them as his brothers and sisters because they were all members of God's family by God's grace through their faith in Christ Jesus. They were family in Christ Jesus. They were blood related to one another, that being the blood of Jesus Christ. So he referred to them as brothers and sisters. Paul loved the believers in Thessalonica and they loved Paul. And so Paul emphasized first, as he's walking into chapter two, he's emphasizing and setting up a lot of what we're going to see throughout chapter two and following. He emphasized their relationship with him. He emphasized that the close relationship that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had with the believers in Thessalonica meant the believers in Thessalonica could trust them. They could trust that Paul's words to them here in this letter were God's best for them. The close relationship they had with Paul, Silas, and Timothy also meant that these believers were less likely to be led astray by false teachers because they were closely connected to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They had that love relationship with them. And Paul emphasized this relationship with them. He's emphasizing to them, hey, you know me, I know you. I've seen you, you've seen me. I've ministered, I've lived among you. You know this. You understand this. We are family in Christ Jesus. But notice, secondly, Paul also emphasized God's power among the believers. He emphasized God's power among the believers. He said, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without result. Our visit with you was not without result means our visit was not in vain. Our visit was not fruitless. Our visit was not a waste of your time and our time. Paul was emphasizing and reminding them that he knew God was at work in them. He knew God was at work in this church in amazing ways. We know this from our brief study of 1 Thessalonians all the way back to chapter 1. Paul told us about God's work among these believers in chapter 1 when Paul reminded and told us about how these Thessalonians turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That doesn't just happen. Understand that. That doesn't just happen. That was evidence of God's power at work in Thessalonica. It was evidence that God was working in and through Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Paul reminded them. Paul emphasized the power of God at work among them. Paul knew that God was using him and Silas and Timothy in amazing ways in his, in God's work in the lives of the believers in the church in Thessalonica. He knew this. And this reality of God's power at work among them, this reality of God's power at work was a blessing to Paul, Silas, and Timothy. This reality of God's power at work among them was exciting for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It was encouraging for Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And it was important to Paul, Silas, and Timothy to know, to know 
that their labor was not in vain. To know God's power was on display in the church there in the lives of the believers in Thessalonica. No pastor, minister, or Bible teacher ever wants to think that their preaching, teaching, and ministry is in vain, is fruitless, is a waste of time. No pastor, teacher, or minister, no Bible teacher ever wants to think that. We never want that to be the case. Paul, Silas, and Timothy didn't either. And Paul actually sent Timothy back to Thessalonica from when they were in Athens to check on this very issue. Paul sent Timothy back to the believers in Thessalonica to check on this very issue, to check and make sure that what they had done, their labor, their ministry was not in vain. We see this in, first, in chapter 3 and verse 5. Look at chapter 3 and verse 5. We'll, we'll jump ahead just a little bit. For this reason, Paul's sharing with them, for this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him, referring to Timothy, to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. Paul sent Timothy back. You remember Paul, Silas, and Timothy were run out of Thessalonica after that three or a little bit longer week stay there. The church was planted. They were run out. And so as they left, Paul went on to Berea, then to Athens. Timothy met up with him in Athens before Paul continued on to Corinth. And Paul said, hey, Tim, I need you to go back to Thessalonica. I just, I can't take it. We left so quickly. Things got started. It looked great. I need you to go back and check on them to make sure the persecution has not turned them away from their faith in Jesus, to make sure they're still living out their faith in Christ Jesus. Go check on it, Tim, and, and then come back and let me know. And Paul then went on to Corinth. Timothy went back to Thessalonica. He came back and met up with Paul in Corinth. And he said, hey, Paul, they're still following Jesus. And Paul rejoiced that their labor was not in vain. Paul rejoiced that their ministry was fruitful and not fruitless. Paul was elated. He was excited to hear the news from Timothy that the believers in the church in Thessalonica, even though they were facing severe opposition, even though they were facing persecution for their very newfound faith in Jesus Christ, they were continuing to live out their faith in Jesus Christ. Paul was elated. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they knew their ministry in Thessalonica was not in vain because People had placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. A church was planted in Thessalonica. They knew their ministry was not in vain because the believers in the church in Thessalonica were effective ministers for Jesus Christ. They knew their labor was not in vain because the believers in the church in Thessalonica continued to grow after Paul, Silas, and Timothy left them. And they knew their labor in the Lord in Thessalonica was not in vain because the believers in the church in Thessalonica, as Paul told us in chapter 1, became a model for other churches to follow. They were a model. And so Paul here rejoiced 
There is great rejoicing here in verse 1. He's rejoicing in God's power on display in the believers in the church of Thessalonica's lives and ministry. He is excited about that as he hears what God is doing in their lives. I think it's very important for us today to make sure that we take time to rejoice in God's work, to rejoice in the power of God on display in our lives, ministries, and church family. It is vitally important for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ to take time to rejoice in the Lord and his power on display in our lives. I have shared and talked with many of you this morning, and I would say at least half of you that I have talked to, that I've spoken with this morning, shared with me, believe it or not, and you didn't know, and I didn't know you were going to share it either, but God knew, you shared with me a testimony of something going on in your life, how God has showed up and moved in your life. I talk with different ones of you. And almost each one of you said, man, pastor, this is what God did. This is what God did. This happened. They did this. They changed this. They weren't like what we thought. God's provided this. God's provided that. You see, what we will miss if we're not careful is that the power of God is on display 24 hours a day, seven days a week in our lives. The fact that we're here this morning is evidence of the power of God on display in our lives. I mean, just think about it. Think about where we would be. Think about who we would be. Think about what we would be doing apart from the power of God at work in our lives. This very morning, I dare say I wouldn't be here. I can tell you that. Apart from the power of God at work in my life, as he changed me by his grace and my faith in Christ Jesus and what he's done in and through me, I would not be here apart from the power of God. I would not have the blessings that I have in my life apart from the power of God at work in my life. And my guess is that you wouldn't either. And so it's important for us to take time, to take time individually just to come before the Father and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for answering that prayer, God. Thank you. I know he's answering your prayers. He's answering mine. Specifically this week, I found myself over and over. Thank you, God. Thank you for moving mountains and answering my prayer. Thank you, God. But you see, we don't just need to celebrate it ourselves. We need to get with our families. We need to get with our loved ones. We need to get with our friends. We need to get together with our life teams. We need to get together with those we do life with. And we need to celebrate together. So the scripture says we rejoice with one another who rejoices, right? I mean, we certainly weep with those who weep, and we pray with those who pray, and we pray for needs, but we need to rejoice, celebrate 
The power of God at work in our lives. Even if you're still in the midst of the trial you find yourself in, listen, you're still going. You're still standing by the power of God. You're still giving testimony and witness to Jesus Christ. He's still using you. He's still at work in you. He's the one strengthening you right here, right now. If you've come out of a trial, praise God, celebrate. And then get ready. You're going into another one soon. It's the way it works. If you're in one, celebrate. Celebrate. That's what Paul was doing. Paul said, for you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without result. No matter how hard Satan tried to mess it up, God won the victory. That's what he's saying. He said, we may have been run out after three weeks, but God doesn't need three weeks. He just needs a second. And he'll take care of things. And even if we're not there, he will continue to display his power in amazing ways. What a blessing here. That leads us to verse 2. Let's continue on. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Paul said, on the contrary... So here we see Paul in verse 2, referring back to verse 1, and what Paul was saying, as you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, our visit to you was not without result. Our visit to you was not fruitless. Our visit to you was not a failure. On the contrary, it was a huge success. He's saying, on the contrary, there's the contrast, verse 1 to verse 2. It was a huge success. And he identifies a third point for us here in this verse that we'll now walk through, and that is Paul identified the reality of opposition for believers. He identified the reality of opposition for believers. Once again here at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul said in this, on the contrary, Paul said this, our success in ministry in Thessalonica, the success of our short stay with you in Thessalonica is magnified when you understand the outrageous treatment we experienced in Philippi before we even came to you in Thessalonica. If you remember back to week one of this series, and I know you do, I know you've got a, just a photographic memory, you remember everything. Every word that's spoken from every sermon. I know you do. If you remember back, in week one, I traced uh, for us the arrival of Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Thessalonica uh, by tracing Paul, Silas, and Timothy's steps on Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, I'll summarize it real quick uh, and speed up to where Paul, Silas, and Timothy were in Troas. They were in Troas, uh, and it was there in Troas where Paul had the vision from the man in Macedonia who asked him to come across uh, the Aegean Sea to minister in Macedonia. And so Paul, Silas, and Timothy got up the next day. They, tra they traveled by boat to Samothrake. Then they continued on from there to Neapolis, and then they left Neapolis, and they went down the short distance to Philippi. And it was there in Philippi that they planted the church in Philippi. Philippi was one of the leading cities in the Greek province of Macedonia. Paul loved the believers in the church in Philippi. Paul wrote the letter of Philippians back to the believers of the church in Philippi to encourage them and to express his love for them and to continue teaching them. 
And so we know it was in Philippi where Paul and Silas were making their way, as Luke told us in the book of Acts, they were making their way out to a place for prayer. And as they were going to a place for prayer and ministry, as they were known to do in Philippi and in all the other cities that they were ministering in, they came across a slave girl who had a demonic spirit, was possessed by a demonic spirit, who enabled her to predict the future. Uh, which also allowed her to make a whole lot of money for her owners. And so as Paul and Silas and Timothy continued ministering, this young girl continued following them. She would follow them, and as she was following them, as they were seeking to do ministry, she was following them, and she was continually shouting out, these men who were telling you the way to salvation are servants of the Most High God. And she was hindering their ministry. She was becoming a problem for Paul and Silas in being able to minister there in Philippi. And so one day, Paul just turned around. He, is, he was annoyed. He was irritated. The scripture said he actually got annoyed. And he turned around and he cast the demonic spirit out of the young girl. When her owners found out that she no longer had this spirit, when the owners found out she no longer had this ability to predict the future, more importantly, when they realized she no longer could make them a whole lot of money, they were angry. And they were angry with Paul and Silas, and they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged Paul and Silas before the Roman magistrates there in the town of Philippi. The Roman magistrates decided to convict Paul and Silas of the charges brought against them and ordered them to be beaten and flogged. Paul and Silas were denied, among other things, the due process of law. They were denied a trial, which was their right. They were denied an opportunity to defend themselves against the charges that were brought against them. Instead, they were convicted and publicly flogged and beaten there in Philippi. Luke tells us about this in Acts chapter 16 in verse 23. Jot these couple of verses down. I'll give you an idea as to what's going on. Acts 16 is the story of Paul, Silas, Timothy in Philippi. Verse 23, after they had severely flogged them, not just flogged them, severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison, note that, and secured their feet in the stocks. So we see that after this beating, after this opportunity for them, and they were thrown in prison, inner stocks, feet, arms bound. Scripture says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were having a worship service in the jail. And an earthquake came, and an earthquake hit, and the earthquake was so severe there in Philippi that the chains broke off their wrists, and the stocks broke off their feet. The jail cell doors flew open. They were free to go. And the jailer came rushing in upon noticing what had happened. And once the earthquake had stopped, and he came rushing in, certain that all the so all the prisoners had left, ready to take his own life because he knew that would be the cost of the prisoners escaping. And Paul and Silas said, hey, 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 don't, don't do anything to yourself. We're still here. The jailer stunned the power of God at work in Paul and Silas and turned to them and said, uh, I want what you guys got. What must I do to be saved? He knew the charges against them. He knew why they were in there. And so Paul and Silas 
shared the gospel of God with the jailer and his family. The jailer and his family received God's gift of salvation by God's grace, their faith in Christ Jesus. And they were baptized. And then they left later Philippi and they traveled to Thessalonica. They make their way to Thessalonica after this scene had unfolded in Philippi. Paul says, on the contrary, after we had suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. The believers in the church in Philippi knew what had happened to Paul, Silas, and Timothy in Philippi. The Thessalonian believers knew what had happened in Philippi. They knew how Paul and Silas were publicly stripped, humiliated, beaten, and flogged. They knew how they were thrown into the inner prison, how they were put in stocks, their wrists, their arms, and their feet. The believers in Thessalonica knew this because Paul told them this upon his arrival in Thessalonica. But also, we know the believers in the church in Thessalonica knew this because they could see the scars on the backs of Paul and Silas that had been left from the beating they endured in Philippi. They knew they had been treated outrageously in Philippi right before their arrival in Thessalonica. And he continued and he said in verse two, as you know, we were emboldened by our God. Say that with me out loud. We were emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. Paul said, we were emboldened by our God. Paul said, our visit to you was a success. The only reason we were able to come to you, the only reason we were able to speak the gospel of God to you in Philippi, the only reason we were able even to make it to Philippi, from Philippi to you in Thessalonica was because of the power of God at work in our lives. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were emboldened by God. That means they were God-confident, not self-confident. They were relying on the truth of God's word. They knew God was with them. They knew God was watching over them. They knew God was at work in them, around them, and through them. They knew God was strengthening them and sustaining them to do all they needed to ask them to do. They were emboldened by God. That means they were freed up by God to preach and teach the gospel of God to the Thessalonians passionately and powerfully as a testimony to the power of God at work in their lives. Because of the outrageous treatment they had just received from Philippi. And it wasn't going to be much longer before they were going to continue to receive outrageous treatment in Thessalonica. Yet they were emboldened by God to preach and teach the gospel of God to those in Thessalonica by the power of God at work in their lives. The gospel of God, once again, just a reminder, is the good news of God's gift of salvation that is available to everyone who will believe in Jesus and receive Jesus by faith. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, their boldness and confidence and freedom 
was from God. Their boldness, confidence, and freedom was through God. God's power in them was more than enough for them. And God's power in us is more than enough for us. Amen? God's power in us is more than enough for us. God's power in me is more than enough for me. And it's true for you as well. So what what does God want us to do here this morning? What is the takeaway for us as we look at this passage? What are some points we can put into practice in our lives today and this week that we see here from this passage that will allow us to continue in our growth in Christ, that will allow us to continue in our witness for Christ, that will allow us to continue to minister to our congregation who God's places around each one of us on a day-by-day basis? What can we take away? What do we need to know from this passage that will be used by God through his power in our lives this day and this week as we put his truth into practice? I want to just share a few points. These are points that we're going to emphasize throughout our study of 1 Thessalonians. We see them here, uh, so let's highlight them here and we'll continue emphasizing them throughout our study. The first point we see is we need to invest in relationships. We need to invest in relationships. First and foremost, we need to invest in our relationship with God. What does that mean? It means we need to pray continually, just like Paul, Silas, and Timothy did that we read about in chapter 1. We need to pray every day. We need to pray all through the day. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for all those God places around us. Prayer is vitally important for you and for me. It's the way we get fresh air from God. It's the way in which we hear from God. We need to invest in our relationship with God. And one of the ways, one of the main ways we invest in our relationship with God is through prayer. Talking to God day by day all through the day. We also, secondly, need to invest in our relationship with God by getting in God's word. We get into God's word, we read his word, we study his word, we meditate on his word, we memorize his word so that we can obey his word. Remember, God's word teaches, rebukes us, corrects us, trains us in righteousness so that we will be ready, able, and equipped to do all that God's called us to do on a day-by-day basis. So we need to invest in our relationship with God. By getting in his word. Listen, if we're expecting to be able to live out the power of the truth of God's word in our lives, but we're not feeding ourselves on the truth of God at work in our lives, we're not going to live out in that power. If we're not committing this word to memory when the severe and outrageous treatment comes against us, when opposition, when persecution, when challenges, when tests, when trials that scripture teaches us are going to come our way, when those come our way and we try to call up a defense Generally, if we're not feeding ourselves in the truth of God's word, then we're going to try to defend ourselves in our strength and wisdom. And that doesn't work well. That doesn't last long before we find ourselves flat on our back, frustrated, angry, upset. We need to invest in our relationship with God, first and foremost, through prayer and the study of his word, the reading of his word, memorizing his word. We also need to invest in our relationship, not only with God, but with one another. Paul, notice now, Paul invested in his relationships with these believers in Thessalonica. Paul visited them after suffering outrageous treatment in Philippi. 
He visited them after suffering outrageous treatment. What does that mean? It means, listen, Paul took the initiative with the Thessalonians. Paul went first in checking in on them. Paul went first in loving them. Paul went first in ministering to them. Paul went first in teaching them and sharing with them the gospel of God. Paul went first. Paul didn't wait for them to come to him. Paul didn't wait for them to check on him. Paul didn't wait to receive before he gave. No, Paul went first in giving, which is Paul's practice throughout the Word of God, which makes sense because that's also the practice of our Savior Jesus. He went first for you and for me. And so we need to invest in our relationships with one another. What does that mean? That means we need to go first. That's what it means. We need to go first today and this week. We need to go first in checking on one another. We need to go first in encouraging one another. We need to go first in forgiving one another. We need to go first in helping one another. We need to go first in loving one another. We need to go first in praying with and for one another. We need to go first in serving one another. We need to go first in being a blessing to one another. We need to go first. Stop sitting around and waiting for others to come and make the first move with us. You'll be waiting around forever if that's the case. We need to take the first move. We need to walk in the word. Scripture tells us to forgive one another, whether they ask for it or whether they deserve it or whether they even desire it or whether they even know that they've hurt us or need forgiveness from us. We're to forgive. We're to go first. And so we invest in our relationships with one another by going first with one another. Listen, one of the greatest ways we can invest in our relationships, if you want a way to invest in your relationships with one another, this day and this week, one of the best ways you can invest in relationships with one another is through encouragement. Through encouragement. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you're my disciples. If you love one another, one of the greatest ways we love one another is by encouraging one another. Go first. He wants us to make daily deposits in our relationships with one another. Encouragement, love. You can go first in praying for one another. Invest in those relationships. Listen, it's one thing for us to sit here and to see and to read and to say, you know what, that you're right. I need to invest in my relationships. It's something completely different to do it. To do it. Hey, listen, if you're in conflict with someone, you, better, you need to go first. If you came this morning in conflict, go first. If you had a battle royal in your car trying to get everybody here together from your family, which happens all the time on Sundays, then go first. You'll have an opportunity here in just a few minutes. Go first. Seek forgiveness, show forgiveness, pray, love, encourage. It's what we see Paul doing here with these believers. Number two, we need to expect opposition. Whether we like it or not, understand it or not, we need to expect opposition as followers of Jesus as we live for Jesus. It's going to happen. As we live out the truth of God's word and obedience 
to him by his power at work in us. We're going to face opposition. Now listen, expecting opposition doesn't mean we live in a state of anxiety and fear and stress and discouragement every day. Expecting opposition just helps us to understand and we realize that we know what God's word says. It's coming, so we better be ready for it. We live with confidence that comes from knowing God's word. We live with the confidence in knowing that God is with us, that God is watching over us, that God is at work in us, through us, and around us. We live with the confidence in knowing that God is strengthening us, that God is sustaining us each day by his power at work in us. We live with the confidence in knowing that we are more than conquerors. We are victors. We are overcomers in Christ Jesus. We live with the confidence to know that God's grace is sufficient for us and his power is perfected in our weakness. We live with a confidence that tells us and we know that God is able to make all grace abound to us so that at all times and all things, having all we need, we'll be able to abound in every good work because of God's power that is at work within us. We need to understand and know that we are victorious in Christ Jesus. And we live in this victory as we expect opposition, but we're ready for it so that we can continue, as Paul, Silas, and Timothy demonstrated, by continuing to minister in ways that are not in vain that are not without result, that are not fruitless, that are not a waste of time. We continue ministering. You see, it's as we uh, look at these times of opposition, as Paul and Silas demonstrated for us, after they were beaten and flogged and thrown in prison, what do we find Paul and Silas doing in Acts 16? They are praying and singing hymns to God. Times of opposition should excite us as followers of Jesus. Hey, listen, times of opposition should excite us. Times of opposition for our faith in Christ Jesus means God's at work in us. It means someone has noticed we look a lot like Jesus. It means we have an opportunity to rely on Jesus. It also means we have an opportunity to point people to Jesus. When there's opposition that's coming against us because of our faith in Jesus, it means good things are happening. It should excite us. And cause us to even more invest in our relationship with God and with one or just like Paul and Silas did. You see, we need to remember as followers of Jesus, we don't fight for victory day by day. We fight from victory because we've already won the victory in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors in him. Number three, third point we need to do is we need to rely on God's power. Paul said we were emboldened by God. Paul, Silas, and Timothy they were freed up and inspired by God because of their reliance on God. They were strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and his mighty strength. They were emboldened by God to preach the gospel of God confidently. They were emboldened by God to preach the gospel of God freely. They were emboldened by God to preach the gospel of God lovingly. They were emboldened by God to preach the gospel of God passionately. Paul, notice, did not take matters into his own hands. Paul did not try to, try to take control of his situation when he was suffering uh, outrageous treatment. Paul did not get angry with God and upset with God because of the opposition he faced. Paul did not give up on God and turn away from God because of the opposition he faced. Paul simply relied on the power of God at work in him. And no matter what is happening to us, no matter what is going on around us, no matter who is coming against us, God wants us to rely on his power. His power 
at work in us. As Paul said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You see, we can share Jesus boldly in God's power. We can share Jesus confidently in God's power. We can share Jesus faithfully in God's power. We can share Jesus lovingly in God's power. We can share Jesus powerfully in God's power. We can live for Jesus passionately in God's power at work in us. So how do we rely on God's power? We're going to invest in relationships. We're going to expect opposition so we're not thrown off by it. So we just draw closer to the Father in those times. And we're going to rely on his power as we're holding on. And he's got his grip on us. Relying on God's power just simply means spending time in prayer day by day. Prayer is how we hear from the Father. How we ask God, I want your will. God, I want your ways. God, I want what you want for me. God, would you speak to me? Would you share with me? Would you tell me what it is that you want from me? We rely on God's power. We spend time in God's word. It's where we get the truth that we need, the wisdom that we need to make the decisions that God is going to call us to make. And when we match up that time with the Father, communicating with him in prayer, and we match that up with the time in the Word, it's that same Holy Spirit of God that utters our prayers to the Father, that speaks to us and teaches us the words from the Father, that then fills us with the power of God to walk in obedience day by day, relying on him, not on us. See, as we rely on God's power, we're able to walk in victory through times of opposition. As we rely on God's power, we're able to grow in our faith in Jesus through opposition. As we rely on God's power, we're able to be a positive witness for Jesus in times of opposition. As we rely on God's power, we're able to glorify God in times of opposition. As in Paul understood, Silas, Timothy, they understood. The believers of the church in Thessalonica understood. God's at work in us, and he knows what he's doing. He's at work in you, and he knows what he's doing. God's work in us is best for us and all those around us. And God is going to complete his work in us by his power in us. So let's renew our commitment to rely on God's power. Let's invest in our relationships with one another right here and right now. Let's receive God's power by placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in this time.